0: Welcome to the 2TM News Podcast for our special episode on January 26 and what that day means for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I'm going to introduce you to today's host. So we've got myself from the 2TM newsroom, Tony Ambrosetti, my co-host Tim Coates, a Tamworth local, and today's special guests are Charles Lynch, a Gormoray man, councillor for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council Northern Region. And right beside him in a COVID safe distance is Mark Sutherland, Gormoray man, and director of Gomorrah Cultural Academy. Welcome.
1: Yeah, hello. G'day, g'day. Good afternoon.
0: And Mark. could I ask you if you would mind doing an acknowledgement of country for us?
2: Yeah, that's
3: fine. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the land that we're on, the land of the Gomorrah people, and pay our respects to the elders, both past and present, that have cared and
2: continue to care for this country. Thanks, Tony. That, that's perfect. I mean, and it's translated. Which brings us to an interesting point. We could talk about history, and I was going to do that, but with our national anthem, and we didn't talk about, it, about this off um, New Zealand do it so much better than we do, in my opinion. Um, regardless of the content of the words, and we're arguing about the words in the minute, and I think it's better with the change of one word. Is it perfect? I'm not gonna have answer that. But in New Zealand, they do it in both languages. And Mark's probably just demonstrated why that would, would be a good fit for someone like me. For you guys, does, does that work? Does that make it better? Is it improving? I think language is really important.
3: Uh, language <coughs> connects us to our country and gives us a really intimate connection to the place that we live on. Yeah. And as you would be aware, there are multiple languages right across the continent.
2: Yeah, I get that.
3: And I feel that in the past, that level of diversity, has been used as a barrier to be able to include any kind of language from a national perspective. And so whether it's the Anthem or whether it's on any topic, um, Aboriginal languages have been shared right across the continent and can continue to be shared. And whatever platform that is on, uh, it's definitely a, a possibility.
2: Charles, would you see that as being some way of breaking down the barrier or oh, I, th- I think uh,
1: definitely could make improvements. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, the wording uh, is quite right yet. I think there's still some work to be done. And I agree with that. But I uh, totally uh, feel that uh, in a respectful manner that, uh, you know, um, and as Mark alluded to, there is many dialects as well that need to be considered when we, when we do uh, um, use our languages and and, yeah. uh, you know, especially if we were singing the national anthem or, um, and, and where that's being done at. You know, we've had sporting events where the dialogue in New South Wales varies greatly between clans. Yeah. Uh, so we'd also have to be respectful amongst our people about uh, what actually is being uh, um, said, at, said in language at that point as well. So it comes back to country, whose country we're on. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously some uh, elders would be consulted along that path
2: yeah and I, I just it just it wasn't where we were going to start but hey it's a great place to start mainly because mark started with with such a an eloquent introduction yeah, thank you. the first official australia day apparently was in 1915 on the 30th of july before 70, 1770 uh, the care of the land was with the first nations people as if that's okay mm-hmm. for me to use that language yep. for 60,000 years give or take um i'm not going to be more explicit than that because i can't you know captain cook in august 1770 came and uh, put up a Union Jack at Possession Island. 1788, there was 11 convict ships turn up. Um, 26th of January was only a quirk of fate and nature really, because otherwise it would have been a couple of days before it could have been the 18th or the 24th of January. We didn't really celebrate anything for 30 years and then there was something. After 50 years, there was a public holiday, give or take. Roll a clock forward, Um, 1888, everybody joined in with this recognition of a, a particular day. Really, Aboriginal leaders celebrated a day of mourning in 1938, so the 150-year celebration. History is a, is a wonderful thing, you can do anything with it. The Citizenship Act came in in 1948. Is, is that a line in the sand where we all became Australian citizens? Uh, my belief, personal belief at this point is that we joined the First Nations people and became citizens of the country. And I'm a new Australian myself, so... Um, we ceased being British subjects in 1984. And we got the national anthem that we've got currently which needs work let's let's leave a line in the sand the world independence day liberation Days, national days all around the world are, are celebrated i was fortunate enough to go overseas a couple of years ago when he could still travel you remember those days um <laughs> and you know first nations people a lot of history a lot of respect in canada in in my world a lot of respect on what they do in in Alaska and there seems to be a wide acceptance of the history and the cultural awareness or that's my perception of that. that is that something we need to do better I guess where we need to go from here is is there an appropriate date do we need to have an adult conversation an inclusive adult conversation about what's an appropriate way and there needs to be constitutional recognition not only of local government as some of our politicians talk about but of Aboriginal and First Nations people. So, throw it there.
1: Uh, (laughs) Thanks Tim. I think the, you know, obviously and I can't speak on behalf of Mark, but the idea of being here today is is to start and get people to start thinking about holding and having conversations. Mm. It's easy to sit back and, and, uh, you know, our people for a long time um, I think we've hidden behind a word and protected ourselves by using the word no and uh, a lot of people ask me what stops our people advancing as much, and I understand our old people when you know when you've fought so hard to get to where you are today, and still have so little, you don't want to risk what you've got. So I think it's very difficult to uh, you know sit and engage people's views. But one thing I will say is, it's just a date. And my personal view is the date does need to be changed, and uh, we'll park that for a moment. And more so, though, it's about having a a conversation which I think all of Australia is up for. Um, And in that conversation, it's about gaining the respect that First Nations people should get in Australia. Mm. Uh, And we should be talking about not just since colonisation, we should be talking about and sharing the whole 65,000 years of culture and heritage that, uh, you know, um, is beyond... and far better than uh, uh, not. Well, we probably shouldn't say far better, but uh, resonates and uh, uh, sets us as the First Nations people. The other interesting point in mob is that we've always said we've never ceded, a, 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 never given up our sovereignty rights, yeah. and um, and that's very important to us. So, the generational trauma that's been caused um, since colonization and. Um, and I've seen that firsthand through my, 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 my family and in particular my grandfather and his family. So I think um, that's what we need to work through. And I think if we, we have some really informative truth-telling along that process around the full history of our people, uh, that will also enable, uh, I believe, healing to commence and, and uh, assist our people in moving forward. But more so, the day itself, I think, needs to represent and promote... Um, our culture in its entirety, and not uh, just ho- focusing always on the negatives of of what's happened, but truth telling's got to be there. It plays a big part in in our healing, and uh, it's very important. So, but it's a conversation that's well overdue.
2: Look, it is, and I, I you know, I, a guy is no longer with us. Um, Norm Allen used to I used to see him at the races. He, he and I used to go those those places. He used to say to me, "Ah, oh, you're going to be celebrating Invasion Day," and I, I I didn't get it for a while. And I'll admit that I didn't get it for a while. And then all of a sudden it resonated with me. It's like, hmm, okay, I see where you're coming from.
0: So I guess given that like historical context, the need for the conversation and also for some truth-telling, what does January 26th mean to you?
3: Yeah, so for me, the date, when we talk around the date specifically of January 26th, like Tim alluded to, was around the arrival uh, and the establishment of the colony in Botany Bay, the raising of the flag in, in Botany Bay, the declaration that Australia as a continent was terra nullius. Mm. You know, for us is a huge thing because that's saying that as Aboriginal people, we had no rights or connection to the country that we're on, which laid the foundation for the colony to treat Aboriginal people the way that they did. It was this idea of terra nullius that was established around that date. And so for us, it's been the impact right across New South Wales and across the country has been built on this idea that Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal ownership of this country is an inferior kind of ownership to what the colony proceeded upon it. Because the idea of terra nullis is that no one, it's an empty land. Aboriginal people were seen of not having the level of civilization to claim ownership over anything. Mm. And so again, that laid the establishment of the colony, which then impacted on Aboriginal people when we're talking around the dates. You know, it was before Federation in late 1890s that states formally introduced Aboriginal Protection Acts Hmm. as state government legislation. So Aboriginal people were governed under policy, state um, policy, the Aboriginal Protection Act of New South Wales, which gave the government rights specifically over Aboriginal people. No other group of people were subject to this level of protection by the government. In 1901, when federation was established and the constitution was written, Aboriginal people were excluded from that conversation because we were still managed under state government. Mm. And And so with the constitution itself, it doesn't include anything to do with Aboriginal people. It wasn't until 1967, when there was a referendum that was held that asked the country two questions. One, do we count Aboriginal people in the census? Because prior to that, through the Constitution, Aboriginal people's numbers were kept on stock registers, which were guesses of landholders. And secondly, it was the do we take authority away from the state and give it to the Commonwealth to make decisions on behalf of Aboriginal people? It was the biggest yes vote in referendum history. Mm. In 1969, two years later, New South Wales got rid of the Aboriginal Protection Act. In nowhere does that removal of the Protection Act have anything to do with Aboriginal people being included into or recognised as Aboriginal people with unique rights. We are no longer under the Protection Act, so where do we fit? And this is the question from, from Aboriginal Australia that we've been trying to say is that there's an issue that has been unresolved because in 1992, Eddie Mabe had the High Court decision which overthrew the idea of terra nullias. Saying that indeed Aboriginal Australia was, that Australia was owned and, and had clear levels of kinship and connection by Aboriginal people. And so in January 26, that the anniversary of Australia Day when Nullius was established, when the colony was set up, was set on the set up on the principle that Aboriginal people were a race that was lesser than the people that turned up, to the point where Aboriginal remains had been removed. For the testing of Darwinism, yeah. and so right across the northwest, we're getting the remains of Aboriginal people repatriated. So we're getting now the announcement to say that a, um, a museum or a university overseas no longer needs the remains of these Aboriginal people who were removed from country to test the idea of Darwinism to prove that the Aboriginal people of Australia were a lesser than an unevolved race of people we should prove the point of terra nullius. And so for us, the 26 is really significant because it, it hits that nerve, saying that as Aboriginal people, we are seen as something that is lesser than to the establishment.
2: So just to put it into context, am I right in saying that basically, prior to the 26th of January, if I was an Indigenous Australian, an Aboriginal man or woman, I was a fit and proper person. But on that day, I ceased to be so.
3: From that day, Australia was a, a part of the colony. And so for us, that has, uh, what's the word I'm looking We for?
2: took your identity, I guess what I'm trying to say is we, the, the identity was taken away. It's yeah. a disconnection
1: to- that came yeah. at that point to our culture and I think the lack of respect that, what, what that connection meant to Aboriginal people. So I think that's the, that, that's the prominent piece of that. And I think more importantly as well is that fit and proper people, um, I don't think we were even quite acknowledged as that prior to that. Uh, and I think we actually went backwards even further uh, from that point. So at the moment, uh, you know, we, we still fit under flora and fauna in the National Parks and Wildlife Act. Uh, it's a piece of legislation that's uh, historic. Yeah. Uh, and you look at, uh, you know, it's a piece of legislation that uh, continues to be not to uh, prevent or... Or to prevent destruction of cultural heritage in New South Wales. It's actually, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's legislation for the destruction of cultural heritage in, in New South Wales. And those reforms are long overdue. It was called uh, over 40 odd years ago. Uh, uh, for amendments and changes uh and again here we are today still talking about that as well so yeah and
2: at, at some stage we're going to have this and i kept using the term out <coughs> of conversation because we, we seem to be like kids in the school ground we, we you know mm-hmm. mine's better than yours yours is better than mine all the rest of it somewhere there's got to be a mediation point there's got to be something people on different sides of the fence why can't we just be one country operating together
0: there's clearly a lot of issues that need to be fixed and they all are kind of interrelated and connected to each other and i guess after years of protest and people feeling this way either silently or loudly last year we saw quite a lot of loud protesting when it came to the black lives matter movement throughout australia we've got this conversation happening on a national scale but when it comes to tamworth and i guess the northwest even more broadly why aren't we having this conversation here
1: well i think we are having that conversation here you know we've had cases if you look at the craigie family mark haynes oh, yeah. uh and multiple other cases have been brought forward the thing with the black life matters um campaign or what's came out of uh, what we saw in america the sad thing for me is we had a, a royal commission into deaths in custody, and from that came 388 recommendations. And to date, I think of that, about 18 have been implemented. So that again tells you the disconnect between the wrongs or the policy and legislations that we work under to where affecting real change needs to happen. And, and when we look at where we're heading to today, I think the the misconception is and what's happened, whether it be from 1901 till now, is that we're having policy and legislation driven from the top down. People write what they think is best for Aboriginal people. Whereas for this to work, they need to speak to Aboriginal people who know the issues. They also know how the, the, the answers to the issues that are raised. And that's something that needs to change greatly in, in how we do our business. And that, and that probably leads us into the current regime. If you look at the close of the gap that's happened previously up until 2017, um, of those, we had two that were on target and the rest were way behind and all the federal government was going to do was roll that forward uh, and leave it let's get on as, as, as the norm with no consultation with Aboriginal people and uh, obviously that did change. Uh, particular groups did roll in heavily on that, uh, Aboriginal peaks and uh, community people and uh, we've had new targets uh, brought up in, in that issue in particular for me, suicide was a, a major coup for us in, in dealing with some of the things that we face in community every day and uh, for the first time in New South Wales, in particular and across Australia, we're now going out to build jurisdictional plans, consulting Aboriginal people, not not a state councillor, not uh, a director, but Aboriginal people, because we, we take our shirts off, we're Aboriginal people first, yep. but every Aboriginal person will have the opportunity to have a say what's happening in their communities and how we can deal with the issues at hand for the first time.
2: Do you believe it? I mean, you, you take your shirt off, you're an Aboriginal person first. With politicians who seem to be driving this top down, or policymakers in general, that they're a policymaker or a politician first, and doesn't matter when they take the shirt off, they're still a politician or a policymaker. Is that the disconnect that's happening?
1: Yeah, I think uh, what you know, even we'll talk to you about the burden and the and the pressures of being at a state level or whatever level you work at, yeah. but for me, my my stress and where I uh, feel uh, the strain is actually in community because it's our communities that we have to you know um, speak with, deal with. Um, and that's who we report to. You know, they, they put us into positions and there is expectations. But I think overall, the, the letting a politician is down is not my concern. No. That's me letting my community down. And I'm sure Mark would feel the same. Okay. We get up every day trying to make a difference in what we do. And we have, we ruffle some feathers along that journey. And uh, everyone's entitled to an opinion. Not everything that uh, Charles Lynch says uh, everyone agrees with. We have plenty of mob that do celebrate Australia Day and go along and participate. And we've got family that are married into non-Aboriginal people. And, uh, you know, they've got backgrounds and have to be respected as well. But um, identity and, uh, you know, respect for me is the is the key. And, uh, as First Nations people, that's, that's what needs to be dealt with first. And, again, that truth-telling is the important one because our people need to continue healing and that's a big part of it. And being connected to country and connected to our culture and heritage is paramount in that journey.
2: So is education one of the solutions here? I mean, we, we talk about what's taught in school, what's not taught in school. Um, we, we offer different languages in school. You can learn to speak you know, anything you pretty much want to. But we don't seem to have the push on the recognition of our First Nations people's language and, mm. and history to the extent it probably should have.
3: Well, here in New South Wales, we have one of the best bits of... Uh, policy on a, in regards to education. We have the Aboriginal policy. education policy,
2: yeah.
3: um, which has been around since the early 90s. And a, and that is mandated that a, an Aboriginal perspective must be taught in every single subject from K to 12, in public schools, yeah. of course. And so we can look back at our own education and our own educational experience or at our family's education experience from anywhere from that early 1990s up until now where every person, every student... It's mandated that they receive an Aboriginal perspective in every subject. Now there's, there's two core things. One is that if the teachers have gone through the same education system that we've all gone through. Now we what, should
2: put in, what, what's your professional background? You are?
3: I am a...
2: Um, a, t- a teacher in a roundabout way. Sorry I just I, wanted to get that out there because yeah. I think that's important. So I'm the a cultural educator, saying, I've studied yeah.
3: primary school teaching, I've yeah. just finished my um, masters in Aboriginal um, law and culture up at at UNE, training
2: an assessor. I wasn't trying to bake you up. I just think it's very important that your professional background... spent a lot of time in education. You you know
3: what you're talking about.
0: As that experience, how do you feel that that policy is working? Well,
3: it's unfair. It's unfair on teachers to to be put in a position where they're being mandated to teach a perspective they haven't been taught about in the first place, you know? And so then it comes back to accountability. You know, each local principal is responsible for what happens within the school, and they report back to the department. And so the lines of accountability get blurry, but the lines of expectations is really unrealistic. But when it comes to the policy to say that how do we make sure that people get adequate education on Aboriginal perspectives, well, it's already mandated. It's just not enacted upon. And is
2: it enough? But is that the problem?
1: Is that the problem, guys? I mean, so I I, I think the big thing that also lets down the system in this area is the fact that you know you can't teach culture and heritage over over an internet. You cannot teach cultural and heritage over um, an IT system. Cultural immersion needs to happen on country. Yeah, and and that's the key to to uh, making sure that people that are given the opportunity to pass on whether it be education or our culture and heritage. Uh, they really need to be um, have have that connection, so and that 's the bit that 's missing i think and and I agree with Mark totally that we have some wonderful teachers out there you know I was groomed to be a teacher, and uh, I sit back today thinking it, you know it must be one of the most difficult jobs there is. I think they've been set up to fail so i think uh, one of the things that need to change is if you're delivering on culture and heritage or you're teaching aboriginal legal studies i think cultural immersion has to play a large part in that and that cultural immersion should be in the community in which you're teaching
3: and as a community as an aboriginal community we we see that there's a there's a gap in what's being taught and what we'd like to be taught and so there was the creation of the aboriginal education consultancy group the aecg which is a New South Wales, it has a local and a regional and a state body to it, right. which is kind of like an Aboriginal PNC,
2: right.
3: and so it provides support and direction and for the school itself. Yep. And so we have a strong AECG happening across well within Tamworth and a pretty strong regional AECG to offer and provide support for schools and teachers to implement the mandated policy of the Aboriginal Protection Act, and so it's not that Aboriginal people aren't trying to, to make this happen. We're pushing for it. There just seems to be um, some accountability along the way that is uh,
2: So is, is that a time issue from a teacher's perspective? Um, are they juggling too many balls? Do, I mean, taking into the immersion on country, yeah. we have school excursions and we go here yeah. and we go there. Should that be you know taken into context? Should we take the kids from year whatever five or whatever it is and they go and and they receive education on country is is that part of the solution it's not the solution yeah. is that part of the solution for,
3: for me that education the the approach of having things perspective toward in every single subject is an alternative to having specific aboriginal studies mm. as a as a core syllabus and, and core part of the curriculum sure. instead of having it a mandatory subject you have to complete. They've kind of integrated it across the whole schooling experience. Do
0: you think that leads to that lack of accountability?
1: I think on various programs, there's a real lack of accountability, you know, and uh, I'm not going to point the finger, but I think there's programs that have very limited key performance indicators such as uh, attendance. And me and Mark Ray, talking about this the other day. Attendance should not be a key performance indicator. Uh, attendance doesn't say that they're participating. It doesn't say that our kids are participating. It doesn't say any kids are participating. So I think, you know, there's got to be some changes there. And ultimately, I think we concentrate too much on what's happening inside the school gate And maybe we should be concentrating a little bit more about what's happening outside the school gate. And uh, when we talk about closing the gap on our kids, you know, the Premier's priority at the moment that uh, CAPO is working with, which is the Coalition of Peak Aboriginal Bodies in New South Wales, was uh, increasing um, our children's HSC completion rates by 50% up until 2023. And the reality is, unless you capture our children that are falling outside the system, how do you really do that? So I think we're focused for a long time on what's happening inside the school gate. I think we need to start focusing about how do we bring kids, our kids that are in front of the justice system uh, who are on suspension, because suspension still gives you attendance. Yep. So that box continues to get ticked. That's not participation. That's not an education. So I think for us it's about turning that around and perhaps giving some more focus as well through, through on-country, immersion, and getting our kids back into uh, their culture and heritage plays a big part outside the school gate. And I think that's where we can really make some big difference.
3: And I, I don't want to sound like I'm having a shot at schools around Tamworth because
2: there are some sc- I
1: don't think schools are. that are doing no. some
3: amazing stuff and running some great programs, but there's inconsistency.
2: The other thing, and to flip it back a little bit now, we've got sixty, sixty-five thousand 65,000 years of, of heritage and history in our First Nations people. What days or events are significantly important that most people don't even know about? I mean... I do my best to try and learn stuff, but I am absolutely certain I've got no idea.
3: Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned before some of the some of those dates and mm. historically, and so in and so so to provide some context. So in, in 1838, some key Aboriginal activists um, established the Day of Mourning. They, yep. they again in 1838. So remember, the Aboriginal Protection Act was still ripe in New South Wales, and so to leave the reserves and you had to have a certificate of exemption or a leave pass, or you had to have permission to be able to leave. So to, to be able to protest in Sydney, the day of mourning in 1838 was huge, to be able to have a huge, to have a, the amount of Aboriginal people there in protest. And so that day of mourning was deliberately, because in, in that early 1930s, the 26th of January wasn't celebrated nationally as Australia. New no. South Wales still hadn't come on board. Yeah. I think it wasn't until that 1937 when uh, the year before uh, yep. a couple of months beforehand, when the country said, you know, we're going to nominate this day. It wasn't a public holiday yet, but as a country they, they named this day. And so in protest at the very start, you know, it until 1838, the day of mourning was set up. And so then that progressed through the 40s through the 50s, until there was conversations around saying that this day of mourning is important, but we also need a day to celebrate. Mm. And so they moved another day, six months time, to the start of July, which became National Aborigines Day, which was the foundation for NAIDOC week. You know, so NAIDOC has come around as a result of the establishment of the day of mourning in 1838, and so we're talking around public holidays and we talk around significant dates for Aboriginal people to be able to protest and be able to have our voice heard at the very beginning of this. And this is what frustrates me a little bit when we talk around that as a community that people start to see, I guess, with the rise of social media and the rise of now Aboriginal people have some level of opportunity to have their voice heard, some people say that, you know, why are we bringing this up now? Why is this becoming an issue in the last four or five years or, you know, that this this political correctness that's kind of driving it? When the reality is, is that our our protest, our, our it's one
2: hundred and fifty odd years old. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I but but it's come from the very from inception the of the day. Yeah.
3: And so, as people, what's is that important for us to continue the tradition of what our grandparents have fought for? Because we carry that legacy.
0: I guess saying that that we do have NADOC Week to celebrate. Yeah. I think with the twenty sixth of January right now, it is dividing people not on race lines but on you know what people think of that day whether it's how much they've learned about it or not learned about it um you said you know education would be one of the tools to moving forward given that these these policies are quite relatively new so from the 90s and i'm going to say i went through school in the 90s and i did not receive that policy like through my education so how do we move forward with all of the adults that are in those positions of power for either voting or in positions of power in government leaders in different how do we educate everybody in Mm. australia
3: for me there's a huge gap that exists because where do people learn this stuff and, and where do we see it because whether it be through media through tv through um
1: I, I think we've got to go back to two things that I focus when I hear the words cultural awareness training, and I don't like any of it. No. Uh, for me, it's about cultural immersion that needs to take place on country yep. and needs to be done at a local area in, in a local content because um, it changes. Whilst we're connected through longs and songlongs and, and and so on, it's very important that when it comes to cultural immersion, um, and I'm sure Mark uh, agrees, he wouldn't get in a bus and drive to Melbourne and take people on country without going through protocol or speaking to the elders, because they should be delivering that. So when we talk about our area, uh, we need to make sure that people that are uh, you know, offering up cultural immersion, uh, then it's done by the appropriate people and by local people from community.
2: I've seen Mark do that, and he did acknowledge, and he did go through local people in a different area to do it. So how do we collectively here in Tamworth start a conversation that can do anything to change anything? Because I'm keen.
3: Well, I I think it's, it's systemic. I think that we need to, because as individuals, we all have our own views and our own opinions and our own motivations. But the issue that is facing Aboriginal community is that we have structures and systems and policies that are racially biased to disadvantage Aboriginal people. And they've been set up in a time where the point of view at that time was the original people needed the protection
2: they yeah but get get the cigarette lighter go to the box burn the box right yeah we're now thinking outside of the box yeah with a with a blank piece of parchment or or paper or, yeah. or whatever you know what is it from your perspectives or your view of the world how can we is it is it the constitutional recognition is it from the grassroots up is it Policy makers need to get under. What is it that can be done? Is it the education system? What is I, the
1: first tap on the window? I think the very first tap, uh, Tim, for me is is the fact that Aboriginal people need to be consulted. Cool. We, we need to be very clear on the conversation, and we we need to be up for that conversation. Um, one thing that the twenty sixth of January has, we have mob that celebrate Australia yeah. Day, yeah. and that, that that's their, that's their right. I have no disrespect for them, and I don't uh, you know uh, judge them for that. And and obviously, probably, I am hoping to think vice versa. But the biggest problem we've had, and it is since day dot, is the fact that we've had legislation and policy driven down upon Aboriginal people. Yeah, it's got to come from the other and way out. It's got to come the other way up. Yep. and that that's the answer to where to where uh, we need to be. Because um, through that will come the answers that are required. If there is no no one better that knows the issues that Aboriginal people face every day than Aboriginal people, and uh, I always say to people, you know, when they talk about racism. Uh, I can talk to a non-Aboriginal person and say, have you ever suffered any form of racism? They might say no. And I've also said to my own mob, have you ever had, been, you know, had racism? And they said, you know, brother, I, I actually haven't had too much. I said, but have you ever felt it? And they go, yeah. You don't need to have it said to you, but have you felt it? And I've been in a room where I knew I was the black fella um, because I felt it. Well, I think, you know, from, I
2: go back to my own personal perspective, I can't identify with, because it's a lot more history, but coming here as a 14, 15-year-old, I experienced exactly that, yeah. and, I know, and I know what you're talking about. Is it to the level that you... No, know, because there's not the history there. Yeah. But it, it's... It, the, the disconnect... Yeah. Com- Tamar's very good at starting things, yeah? yeah we yeah. started a country music festival... City of Lights. ...by women perception, City of Lights. We've done a lot of this stuff. We're going to be industry capital. We've got the Equine Centre. Why can't we start this conversation.
1: I, I think it's a conversation that's needed, Tim, and I'll say this if we put it into another perspective there's been lots of organisations in town that have done things to assist Aboriginal people yep. programs, whatever but did the Aboriginal people actually design or own those? No, and the doesn't. other one for me is we sit in a town with a population of 6,500 Aboriginal people if I walk down the Pill Street or any other street, do we actually know that that's the amount of people and what, what the strength and the culture and heritage of this town is? Tamworth has a very unique uh, and powerful cultural and heritage history, yep. which uh, probably none know more better than this fellow sitting next to me. But And I don't think the wider community really understand what is sitting here in Tamworth. Um, and it goes back to what the young lady said earlier was not knowing. And what we said right back at the start of this... Um, this, this particular conversation was it's an educational process yeah. and it's not about school books or textbooks it's about having a conversation and telling the whole truth sharing the whole 65,000 years uh, and I think that's the journey we need to all get on and I think uh, that needs to be promoted widely not, not relying just on Aboriginal employment strategies or reconciliation statements and so on uh, words, words can only do so much it's well, I, about, I can't it's about actions this. I can't fix it's this it's about I, actions
2: I'm happy to listen Mm. To a perspective that's put to, put towards us, right, mm. given to us, or but it's got to come from the people who matter—the first nations people. We can't fix this. We can be receptive. Yeah. We can be welcoming. We can help if required, but we can't fix it unless it's actually put mm. it out by the people who matter.
3: Yeah. Mm. Well, one thing—one thing that each individual can do, like we mentioned before, there's Naidoc Week. Yeah. There's an annual event. One of the biggest events on the national calendar, yeah. the participation rates in town in regards to NAIDOC week is really low. And I sit as the chair of the Tenworth NAIDOC committee. And we struggle.
2: I'm guilty. I've, I've been a couple of times, but no, yeah. no, I'm guilty.
3: And we, you know, we wouldn't talk around the population of, of Tamworth and we say that people make up 10% of that population. And we look at who participates in the public events during NAIDOC week. Because we might get a thousand or twelve hundred people at a, a NADOC Family Fun Day, which is the openly invite to the entire community.
1: Mm.
3: You know, we have marches down the street, we have the Peel Streets closed off three times during the year,
2: yep.
3: on average. Yep. You know, you've got the Cavalcade, you've got the Anzac Parade, the Anzac and March, March. And Nadoc. Yep. You can see that one of those out of the, is significantly um, less supported by the wider community. So what can individuals do? But is that, dan- is that down to an understanding? You can I mean, celebrate. Well, it's open invite. And
2: from, yeah, from
3: an Aboriginal perspective, we can't invite everybody So that's our fault. Enough.
2: It, the, is know, it a promotion, Mark? Is it, is it people like Tony and I, do we, do we need to get on board and do something different? I mean, I'm just asking. I'm not yeah, saying I've got a solution. Saying there's
3: stuff that individuals can do because what we're the bigger picture is that as Aboriginal people, we don't have any Indigenous rights acknowledged by the Australian Commonwealth sure. or by the Commonwealth. You know, so do I have the right to speak my language and learn my language? At the moment, it's not written down anywhere. We don't have any rights. This is where a treaty mm. would have taken place of terra nullius. And so looking at the system, there's something that can be done on a big scale. When it comes to individuals, you know, when it comes to days of celebration, yep. there's a huge disparity. You know, we had, this year we had COVID impacted NAIDOC. Yeah. We put emails around the entire community to say, "Let's all raise the Aboriginal flag on this one day. Let's do it in unity and show everyone that as a town, there's some unity across yeah, supporting okay. of." That's and we had, I think, maybe four organisations. Great point because that. No, I mean, so we did
2: Anzac Day in. by the front gate. Yeah, I, I get, I get your point. Yeah, and 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 um, I'm embarrassed. Personally, but yeah. I get your point. It's a very well-made point.
3: Yeah, there's just some involvement, so individual stuff. But for us, that's that's great to have as a community that we can be more involved and see more, um, you know, of our identity reflected in the community that we live in. But it's acknowledging that some of the change that has to happen is on a much larger scale. But if politicians and policy is driven by its constituents.
2: <laughs> you know, then we can drive uh, and make Apathy is a wonderful thing. I know. Have a look at America. I know.
0: <laughs> so I guess we've had a really long and interesting discussion today. And as you've just said, you know, there's some institutional issues, there's some constitutional issues. And people can do something themselves by just simply getting involved. Um, So if anyone that's listening would like to get involved or learn more from either of you, can you just give us like a little wrap up and how they can connect with you on different platforms or where they can find you to learn more or even a suggestion about where they can go after this podcast (laughs) and find something more to learn about?
1: Yeah, look. Uh, from my perspective, it's not so much what they can learn from us; it's about what we can learn together. Yeah. I think uh, you know it's amazing how, whether it be mob or anyone else, this isn't about um, a control of a of just one one sided conversation. It has to be a broad conversation, and uh, we all have uh, different ideas, different opinions. But the one thing for sure, uh, it's a conversation that does need to happen. Uh, um, I don't think too many people would struggle to find me. Uh, I've got a councillor Facebook page. I've got a personal Facebook page. I've got contact details. I'm in the directory. I'm on, a, uh, on the on the Peak bodies uh, website, both uh, State Lands Council and Capo. But I think it's about having a conversation and respecting also everyone's opinions and views. But it's a conversation that's long overdue, and I think uh, that needs to be driven by Aboriginal people. And uh, But in saying that, we can't do this alone either. I think this is a for me it's about a journey and uh, it's about uh, a journey of sharing uh, the entire story and the, and that will bring about a better understanding not just uh, for the for, for our broader community yeah. and all Australians, but also will enable our people. Uh, to really start to heal and and get through the generational trauma that's been caused uh, along this journey that we've been on. So I uh, am am a big believer in not just focusing on sense colonisation. I want to share the whole 65,000 years. That's the story I want to tell. And there will be the dark side amongst that. And uh, and that's just part of truth-telling that needs to happen. And I think if we do that and we do that openly, I think things will change for the better. And you know what? I think Australians are up for it as well. So.
3: Yeah, there are a number of Aboriginal organisations that are operating within Tamworth and across the region. Uh, Like I said, I work for the Gomorori Dance Company. And a part of that is we run a youth mentoring program called the Gomorori Cultural Academy. But besides us, there's other organisations in town. There's, you know, you know, there's a a plethora of different Aboriginal artists and Aboriginal people running different programs. And also the Tamworth Local Aboriginal Land Council. You know, so there's if people are looking to reach out and, and speak with Aboriginal people and contact Aboriginal organisations, um, social media is probably one of the best avenues at the moment. Um, a lot of things are online these days. So, you know, just a bit of curiosity and it won't be hard to, to come across someone who can offer some level of support.
0: Great. It's
1: been, it's been fun.
0: Thank and you probably, so much for coming in. Probably
1: being a little bit biased, but as the treasurer of the Aboriginal Medical Service, we better throw that one in there yeah. as well, I think. Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> you can have all the plugs you like, but thank you so much for joining us today and um, sharing your perspectives.
3: Jeez, no worries. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, no, it's thanks, been guys. informative,
1: and thanks for the opportunity.